0: Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. It is a Monday edition of Flyers Daily. Yeah, it may be the dog days of the offseason. Last day of the month of July. Next month, August will be the last month where really we don't have any hockey. Uh, but it'll start to pick up at the end of the month into September uh, with rookie camp and training camp. But joining us on this episode as he does every Monday. You can read his work at PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, NHL.com, and HockeyBuzz.com. It is Bill Melter. we got a lot to get to tonight, Billy.
1: We, we sure do. Um, you know, as you said, it's the, the dog days of summer, but uh, it's, it, it's some interesting things are, are starting to take shape or, or or will affect the rest of the offseason, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's been an interesting offseason so far. We've had some subtraction. We've had some addition, you know, players coming in like Stahl and Garnet Hathaway and Ryan Paling and, and the like. But let me just start with it. it. McFlyer tweeted in and says, can you please give the actual facts of the situation to calm Flyer fans fears that Cutter Gauthier isn't going to sign his ELC with the Flyers after this college season ends. He said, I'm not sure where this talking point is even coming from. Well, that's social media. Um, But Cutter Gauthier did speak, and Adam Kimmelman from uh, NHL.com put out some tweets with some quotes, and uh, Gauthier basically said the following. He said, "Um, you know, uh, I was a little bit too much hockey after Worlds, just too much for me. I wanted to take time with family, so I figured it was the best to stay home after talking with Danny Breer, obviously it wasn't his favorite thing, but it was best for me. And he says, the plan is that's definitely planned to f- sign with the flyers after this college season. Hopefully we get done pretty late in April with the group that we have, but overall that's the goal is this a whole lot to do about nothing, but it's been kind of confusing because of, you know, different narratives are out there about how this all went down.
1: No, for sure. Um, you know, listen, if you're asking, not not the flyers asking, but if just the rules were, if he was going to come, he was going to pay his own way. And it was, it was kind of a short summer from on top of that because and he's playing right now. Yeah. He's at the World Junior Summer Showcase with Team USA, along with Devin Kaplan and, and Cole Knubel. So he had to get ready for that also. Um, you know, and, and it was ultimately, ultimately, he had the say on it because it's, because he's already been in a developmental camp, and when you're a when you're fifth overall pick in the draft, I mean it, it's nice to get a developmental camp in, but it's not mission critical. It's not good, not going to affect a roster spot or anything like that in, in the long term. Um, some would say it's a you know, not a great look for a player to be invited to camp and you know choose not to come. I I, I didn't I never thought it was a big deal to begin with, but. Um, yeah, but but I but at least it should put to rest the whole and, and and even that notion, the idea of him sitting out the next three years just to avoid playing for the Flyers didn't make a lot of sense, especially especially when he was so excited to be drafted by the Flyers in the first place and you know, told the story writing. of meeting and and, and and all that. I mean, that would be that'd be a long time to sit out. It would be August of 2016, I guess. August 15, 2016 is when he could be unrestricted. So. It just it just never it, that narrative never made much sense.
0: Yeah, that's kind of the sensationalist sensationalism that happens on social media. Um, there's no not, not much of a, a, a place for uh, rational thinking sometimes in these kind of you know, scenarios. And you know, he's a he's extremely excited to be a flyer and talking to him. And, you know, his mom's from Reading. I think that he's going to have a great year. I, I'm happy he's going back. I don't think that's a bad thing. At all. Owen Power went back to number one overall pick. I think it's a, that's a good thing. You can't look at his draft class and go, all these guys are were taken ahead of Murdy He's You can't look at it that way. Every situation is vastly different. So good on Adam Kimmelman uh, for getting us those quotes. Let's get to our next question here, Bill. Um, this one kind of comes out of left field, but Juan Badbird says, what's the word on the return of assistant head coach Brad Shaw? He will be greatly needed. And I totally agree with Juan. He will be greatly needed because you're going to have some inexperience on that blue line. You're going to have minutes that are going to have to be parsed out differently with Proveroff gone. You do have some veteran presence there with stall and uh, Walker. Uh, but Bradshaw is coming back and it, he's got an interesting task this year. I think so.
1: Yeah. It could be a pretty, pretty young blue line. So by the end of the year, um, you figure as you said, stall's there to provide some leadership, but uh, he'll be given the option before the deadline. Um, you know, do you want to go to a contender, take another uh, attempt at a Stanley Cup, or do you want to stay stay put? It wouldn't be surprising if, if he wanted to take another kick at a Stanley Cup. So, you know, I think by the end of the year, you have a lot of young defensemen up there. Um, certainly, the blue lines in transition after the after the Provorov trade. So, it's uh, you know, it, it's an important year because I I, I think many people, myself included you like the group of forwards. I like the group of forwards, but the defense is a big question mark. And it's, it's going to be a big part of this rebuild going forward. Um, how does the blue line come together? I think they're, they're ahead on the blue line from where our head up front rather from where they are on defense. You, you only get so many picks. So if you, you pick a lot of forwards, you're not taking so many defensemen. Um, now for a while, I remember it was the other way around. Um, yeah. He, yeah, you, know, you, you go with picking uh, Moran in the first round, 2013, and Sandheim in the first round, 2014, and uh, Provrov in the first round, 2015. All with, all with their first pick of the draft, and using second round picks on Robert Hag. So you know, and uh, and then Yinning more recently, um, and then, then Andre. But you know, but but it, you have to put together one piece at a time, and defense development is always a little trickier, takes a little longer. Than often does the forwards, so Bradshaw has a big role to play. If, if there would have been a, a head coaching opportunity, you know the Flyers wouldn't have stood in his way. But you know, it, as it worked out, you know it's uh, he he'll stay put. he will just still be uh, John torrell's Tur- right hand man, and yeah, so he he's there for another year, at least another year, and then and see from there. But but he's he's a very important part of the coaching staff. No doubt.
0: Yeah, I think the important thing with him is that. He and Torts preach the same message, but in very different terminology. They deliver the message very differently in the, in the way that they carry themselves. I, I've always really enjoyed talking to Brad. He, he's a really well thought out guy. Um, this brings us to our next question from Eric at Dorney. He says, uh, from Keith Jones' words, his main focus is reshaping the D. He said, in your opinion, do you foresee them going the Keynes route, which is six quality top four D and no true number one, or acquiring a true number one, by all means, necessary example, pronger trade, but sacrificing quality of a third pair. He says, I can't relive the 10 Krychek parent parent, Ryan parent pairing uh, all over again. And you know, there is, there are different ways to skin the cat when it comes to building a blue line, you can go with, you know, you know, uh, not a high ceiling, but not, you know, a very shallow basement and have, Strength across the board, or you could go top heavy. Ultimately, to win a cup, you got to have a little bit of everything. You look at teams like Tampa with Hedman and the depth that they had, and McDonough and the guys that they brought in there. Uh, but ultimately, getting those top pairing, Hedman, you know, those kind of guys, you're probably going to have to draft that because if those players come up to free agency, they're very rarely actually available. Teams are happy to pay them. And then the other part, Bill, is like you don't get a Petrangelo trade opportunity very often so i, I think that's going to have to be drafted and developed if you want that true stud player unless you're going to vastly overpay in the market
1: sure and, and, and even when that player comes along though you know Hedman being the example you know it didn't click right away for Hedman. it took Hedman no. three four years to really turn into the player and everybody thought he was going to become but he had some struggles early on and that's hardly unusual you know Chris Pronger had some struggles early on yeah. in Hartford, you know, it's, uh, it just, it just par for the course. So, but I, but I do think it has to be built from within. It, it's hard, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to trade for those players without paying a ridiculous you know, return. I mean, but it, it just, it's par for the course. But I do think that, I do think that that does need to be the, the next big priority going forward. They have a, good young group of forwards and hopefully they can build on it. But, you know, there, there's no guarantees. Again, a large part of the rebuild effort from the 2010s into the early 2020s was, was based on young defensemen in the system. Mm -hmm. And of all those guys, only really only Sandheim is left. So it's, uh, there's no guarantees.
0: Yeah. And and the thing is, I mean, if you're going to win, you know, be a perennial cup contender, you've got to have dynamic players up front. You've got to have responsible players up front. You got to have depth. You got to have, I think you need to have a, a, a stud D and a obviously good depth on your D, and you got to have great goaltending, and you got to get it at the right time. It's a lot of boxes to check, um, but they may have that superstar up front in Miechkoff. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, Eric tweets in at Big E Seventeen says overloaded with right wingers. Who's likely switching to left wing? Do you see the positions constantly changing this season? And then he said trade deadline. T K Lots and Stall seem like the biggest potential moves. Does anyone else fit this category? I'm not quite ready to go trade deadline yet. Uh, we haven't even gotten to camp, but um, of guys on the right side that could move to the left side. I mean, Wade Allison's a guy I think I could see doing that. A lot like kind of like a Hartnell type thing. Um but he's really I mean, I, I, I'm not really sure anybody else really fits the bill to me.
1: They, they really they, they started the process late last year with Tippett giving mm-hmm. plays off wing So I, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if Tippett plays some left wing, um, you know, I I mean, connecting had such a good year last year, I I wouldn't want to move him, but
0: you know, I mean, you could, um, I don't think you take a strength and move it into a weakness.
1: Yeah. Well, exactly. Exactly. You know, it's just, uh, really, really you're moving a guy over to, to his off wing. Um, really just how comfortable is he on the backhand? You know, it's, uh, uh, that, that's really the number one adjustment that a guy faces. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I could see, I could see a guy like Allison potentially playing playing the left side. It's uh, it, it'll work out. I, I mean, I, with Brink, I think Brink starts out the year with the Phantoms. I agree. Unless he just unless he just really really kills it in camp, and you know, there's there's no moving him back down. But he's not he's not waiver eligible this year or anything like that. So. Uh, the number, the numbers work out, and, and inevitably there's injuries too. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, 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 it's nice to have depth. I mean that that depth is depth is never a bad problem. So,
0: Bill, one of the biggest hanging questions is what Lisa has tweeted in about at Nasty Flyer Girl. She says, "What is going on with Morgan Frost's contract? Surprised it has not been hashed out yet." Um, and we've gotten several questions in regard to Morgan Frost. Uh, are you surprised that it's not done yet? And what makes the most sense—one, two, or three years for this deal?
1: Well, uh, from what I've heard, not, the, the two sides are not close yet, which leads me to think I think one year makes the most sense. That um, you know, and maybe maybe it'll be a two-three years, makes no sense because that walks him directly to UFA status, mm-hmm. and then probably trading him that third year. So. You know, unless us let's, get him resigned. Um, you know, he's still, Morgan's still, you know, he, he led the team. And again, he led the team in scoring over the final 55 games of last year. That's nice. And then it's longer than half a season, but you can't really say he's proven himself yet because he's only done a, he only did it that 55 game sample and, and the final 10 games of the year before that, because he had a, a nice run to finish that previous season. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in Morgan Frost. I know that Danny Breer, from what he says, is a big believer in Morgan Frost. Um, but, you know, uh, the player wants to get paid. He made 800000 last year. He's not, he's not yet uh, eligible for arbitration, but he wants to see a nice bump for at least for a year, bet on himself for, for an extension after that. And I wouldn't be surprised, surprised if that's where it ends up. I think it'll be either one or two. I don't see anything long-term. And uh, you know, again, three years doesn't make sense because you you lose team control of the player at that, at that point. So yeah, um,
0: I think three so is you know, a non-starter. I, yeah, yeah
1: I, I, I agree. I agree. It's a non-starter. I I, I would expect this to get settled sometime before the start of camp, but not immediately. I think this goes this goes through August and then we'll see.
0: I mean, I, look, I don't mind a player betting on himself. In this situation, I really don't. I think you get a lot out of it, a lot out of a player in that situation. I really do. And I think you're going to get a lot out of him anyway. I, I liked his second half and change last year, uh, but he's got to show it, uh, you know, obviously more consistently and through a full 82. We'll see if he's able to do that this year. And, and quickly, Bill, he's become one of the really polarizing figures on this team in a lot of ways, hasn't he? Yeah, it, it, it's
1: just, it's strange, you know, it's strange. This is the um, arc of development. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but I think people have to go back to the fact that his rookie year was the pandemic year. And then he missed essentially his entire second year. He got he got injured in the second period of his second game of the season and he was gone that whole year. And then it took him, as often happens with those shoulder surgeries, it took took him half a season the year after that to really start to get back to himself again. And this past year, I think it was a matter of building confidence. I, yeah. I think in the second half of the season, the really, the really the last 55 games of the season, um, because, um, that was one game before the big four point game in Arizona that people would say was the big turning point from in the year, but it was really even the game before that. Um, but you know, but I, I, I do think it's the arc of development. I, I think that, um, I think that his junior numbers were so high that it created expectations. Remember that he scored in his first two NHL games, that uh, that, that raises expectations. And, you know, it, it, it's taken time. And sometimes it does take time with a player. Again, Danny Briere being the ultimate example of that. And, and really, Morgan's kind of had that same career path so far. Um, you know, the Flyers' power play was lousy last year. And Morgan didn't have a lot of power play success last year. But he also... He also, if you look at the power play ice time, I mean, he was, I think, fifth or sixth among forwards in power play ice time, so that's kind of second unit ice time uh, on the whole. And, uh, I mean, the Flyers just got really weren't, get, weren't getting much production from anyone in the power play last year. So, that that's a part of it. But the flip side of that is, and sometimes when people say, well, you can really tell a player in even strength, he led the team in even strength points by a pretty good margin, particularly as the season went along. So, I, I think he I think he turned that corner. He certainly he certainly is willing to try more things, and he has to he has to take he has to pick up where he left off. That's why I think it's important that he's in in camp at the beginning of camp. Doesn't matter if he signs on Labor, does he right Labor Day weekend or or right before he comes camp? Not really. As long as he's in camp from the for the duration. Um, I don't I don't know when this finally gets solved, but I don't I don't. You know, it it's not a huge deal, I think it's just because he's the only contract that's still out there, yeah. But we we see we see it many times where contracts go deep in the summer. Heck, if you remember the, the 1920 season, um, you Kinecki wasn't there at the start of camp and profile wasn't there at the start of camp, mm-hmm. and you know, and they were they were in there within the first week, but you forget you forget that by the time of, by the time all is said and done, it's just just the nature of negotiation
0: sometimes. yeah, just because his new deal's not signed yet doesn't mean he's sitting you know up at the cottage uh, eating bonbons all summer and not right. training. I'm sure he's getting after it pretty good and um, you know he's a player too could, yeah, I felt like you could see his brain unlocking last year in the season that, and, and a player that felt comfortable with where he was in the NHL. Um, we'll see if that takes place at the beginning of this season. Carl Burke tweets in Bill and he says the following he says, I'm excited to see the next step. He said my concern though, is that from the GM on down to the coach, they all say this is a bad team that needs a lot of pieces. Why would anybody want to play for a team that doesn't think they're good enough? How do you constantly put your team down? Now, this is this is a conundrum wrapped in a riddle. People say they want transparency. They don't want this telling us everybody's great when they're not. And then, you know, when, they're, when they get an honest evaluation, Carl says, who would want to play for this team? And why are they all saying that? Uh The fact that I don't think they're saying they're bad. I think they're saying we do need a lot of pieces. We need to do a proper rebuild and the players ultimately will determine the pace of the rebuild. Um, And as far as players wanting to play for a team, players want to play for a team that can pay them money. That's the yeah. way that works. You see really good players a lot sign with teams that aren't very good because that's the team that can give them the most dough.
1: Yeah. And, and also there are also there are ancillary benefits to playing in the, Metro division, uh, one of the easiest travel schedules, mm-hmm. right? It's uh, you know a, a, a lot of players, even more recent players, have made their permanent homes in this area where well, they didn't have to. They they could have gone anywhere after their career. So, the, I mean, there's a there's a there's a lot of other reasons why why players go to a city. I mean, ultimately, do players do want to win? And if it's you know, to have that opportunity, you know, the, the, yeah, for, for sure. But, it, you know, I, I think ultimately when the Flyers are ready to compete, they'll be able to lure players. I don't I don't worry about that long term. And they'll, ser- they'll certainly spend to the cap. They've always done that.
0: Yeah. Um, let's get to this next one. It comes from Alex. He said, not really a question, but could you guys go through the prospects and give us the ceiling or the floor? We hear a lot about these signings, draft picks, and how we should be excited. But realistically, how many of them are going to have an impact on the big club? So let's kind of like narrow this down a little bit, Bill. We're not going to go through the entire prospect pool. You guys do that uh, with Brian Smith and oftentimes assistant GM Brent Flair on prospect pipeline, Uh, but let's just kind of focus on the fact that, look, players get drafted and they're good junior players or collegiate players or, you know, overseas, whatever it might be, but the numbers in a draft aren't great. You know, it's no guarantee. I mean, first round picks once once you get outside the top 15, it's basically a coin flip if that player is going to play 200 games in the NHL. And second round picks, it obviously trickles down from there. Now they're outliers. Joe Pavelski was drafted in the seventh round. Flyers just signed a seventh round pick to a contract a couple weeks ago. So there are outliers. But, um, you know, when you hear how good a player is, they may have been good at that level. But we'll see what they're going to be at the NHL level. And that's that. Now it's that stage of Riley Armstrong and development to get the most out of that player and perhaps surpass what their expectation is going to be.
1: Oh, for sure, and there there are so many variables in it. Um, you know, a major injury can set a player back for a year or more. Some some players never get back on track after. Uh, you know, uh, I've debated uh, German Rubsaw with people at times, and I, I thought that he might have had a better career had he stayed healthier. You know, he was he, he was never the same after a couple of concussions and then a, a shoulder surgery. Never, never really bounced back. I, I don't know if he ever would have been a star, but I think he would have been an NHL regular and a pretty good two-way player. And once you fall off that track, maybe you get back on. Maybe you get back on. Maybe you don't. Um, sometimes a player has to find uh, his right role in the lineup, his right spot. Is he better? Is he better at center? Is he better on a wing? Um, we're gonna. There's a little bit of little bit of that question right now with Cutter Gauthier. Not that. Not that. Not that he can he be a, an impact player in the NHL, but is his best position at center or on left wing? Um, and it looks like the intent is to continue developing as a center. Maybe ultimately, you know, will be that that top center in the NHL, or maybe be a high end winger. But um, you know, you, it's uh, Mishkov is that rare guy who you know that so really there's a really good chance he's going to be a, a well above average offensive player in the NHL because he's done it at every level. And against the best players of his age, he's dominated offensively. So, you know, if you're looking for the, the most likely superstar kind of guy, that would be him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But, you know, but but uh, you know, it, it, it's funny because, and I've mentioned this I think on a couple of podcasts back in back in 2019 and 2020, when Hockey News did its future watch issue, and this this is a poll of, of NHL scouting directors and pro scouts. And the Flyers, one year were number two, and one year they were number one. That you know, and it didn't work, but it didn't work ultimately work out the way the NHL level, and that that happens sometimes. You know, you, you have depth. You try to you try to draft guys with high ceilings, and they, they do have some guys with pretty high ceilings. But you know, but I think I think you always kind of look, at least I try to look towards toward the middle ground, right? If he stays healthy and develops pretty much along the lines as you hope. I mean, I think they have uh, a really good, really good group of forwards, and a, and a decent group of defensemen. Hopefully, a guy like Andre can come and make an offensive impact as, as you're moving forward. But we'll see. And and they, the Flyers are one of the best goalie pools I think going in the NHL right now. So that's, but but goalie development is, is always tricky. Um, you know, once upon a time years ago, the Flyers had. Uh, a bunch of number one picks, number one picks, they used in goalies. It was uh, Brian Boucher and uh, Maxime Moulette was a first-round pick. And John Marc Peltier was on a first-round pick, but he was the Flyers' first pick of the draft. They didn't have a first round of that year. So three three out of four years, they used their first pick of the draft on a goalie. And Boucher had, had a decent career. Boucher had a nice career. He never became a superstar or, or you know, or a a candidate, although he had a great rookie year, but who, you know, at their peak, who might've been the best goalie from the bunch, Anton Maki, he was a fifth round pick. Yeah. So you don't, you, you just don't know sometimes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Tyler Barton tweets and says, who's going to replace Jonesy in the broadcast? booth with JJ would love to see more of Brian Boucher. I agree with that. That'd be great. I don't know who's going to replace him, but uh, well, there's no replacing Jonesy, first of all, but. Uh, yeah, taking that spot, I guess we could say. Uh, let's get to one more, Bill. We've gone on long enough, but we get to this last one from Micah at CT Flyers fan 79. And it reads as follows. Will the Flyers be able to build a strong enough team to win multiple cups, i.e. Detroit, Chicago, Tampa Bay? If so, how can you do it without bottoming out to get the highest possible talent? Is this really just an aggressive retool? How does treating one player, I guess there's a typo here, make this a rebuild? They didn't trade just one player, first of all, and there's stages to a rebuild. Um, Do you need to bottom out? Some teams do. Some teams bottom out and go nowhere and continue to bottom out, like Buffalo or Arizona. You know, a lot of teams like that. Teams like Detroit or Tampa, you know, it wasn't just bottoming out for two years. It was basically six, seven, eight years. Colorado, same thing. So there's different ways to do it. And ultimately you have to make I think you have to. The big thing, Bill, is you have to pivot your thinking as information becomes available, and that's the development of players. What is Cutter Gauthier going to be at the NHL level? When is Miechkov coming, and what is he going to be? What about Emil Andre? There's a lot of. Is Tippett going to be a perennial thirty goal scorer that finishes? You know those kind of things. You got to figure all of those out, and it's all part of it. You, I'm never going to go on any podcast or anything and say. You know they're building a team to win multiple cups. Win one cup before you start talking about two.
1: No, for sure. And then the Flyers have work to do to get back to contender status. They have work to do to be, you know, so to be a bubble team again. Yep. And I, I mean, the Flyers haven't been anywhere close to the playoffs in the last couple of years. So it, it's one step at a time. Um, and there, there isn't just one. There isn't just one way to rebuild or one way to win a cup. Otherwise, everybody would. Follow that one path, you know. It's um, it's hard. Now the obviously drafting and getting top end guys are important. Um, I think on a previous podcast this off season, we looked at guys picked first overall in the draft and how many won a cup, and it's not as many as you think. Nine. it's nine, you know, it's, nine yeah. players since 1980. So it's exactly. So that's you know, you you would think, yeah, you would think the odds would be higher. Great players draft along the way. Um, you know, and how many drafts has that, that first overall pick ended up being the best pick in the draft, being, being the best player? Many times yes, many times no. Many times, they have, many times they have been excellent players, but they haven't had the right pieces around them. And you're not going to draft first every year. So, and you need to, you know, you need some luck in the middle rounds. You, you need to find some guys who were kind of floundering in other cities and need to, need to change the scenery. And they, they click with you, um, not not that John Leclerc was floundering in Montreal, but they had no idea they, they had no idea they had a fifty goal scorer in their hands. Yeah, and the Flyers got dead, you know, they got their Sheridan out of that trade too. You know, you have to get you, you have to get a little lucky sometimes too. So you know, it's uh, there's there's no one avenue for it. I, I think one of the I think one of the smartest avenues is you once you get to contender status, keep that window open is you make some you make some adjustments along the way. I think one of the reasons why Chicago was able to stay in contention for so long and, and win three cups in six years was they they made some trades along the way that they kept the window open for you know uh, some guys kind of came off of good years and they were up for free agency. Christopher Stieg being being a good example. Yeah. And he was going to get paid somewhere. But they had a they had their guy said this is going to be our core. And once some guys kind of when guy, guys who were kind of role players started started wanting money that was teetering on that center core. Sometimes you have to let those guys go. So and it's,
0: Tampa
1: it's, too. Yeah, Tampa. is yeah. exactly is a very good example. They've done the same thing. So it's uh you know it's a it's a year to year process and um, baby steps have been taken. Um, I I don't think we talk about multiple cups. So let's let's get to contender status first, and we'll see about finishing that off.
0: Yeah, yeah, and today's NHL thirty-two team. The old, the old joke when twenty-one team league was, yeah, you better make the playoffs. Everybody makes the playoffs, so well, that's not true anymore. Half in, half out. It is a dogfight to get there, and we'll see if uh, those steps kind of get closer this season, and we see Cutter Gauthier maybe in april after a run to the frozen four with a bc team that looks like they're pretty poised as well bill great stuff as always uh, rebuilds work PhiladelphiaFlyers.com, nhl.com and hockeybuzz.com we'll be back wednesday as we count down the days of this off season i'm getting nancy again uh, we'll be back wednesday with another brand new episode of flyers Day.